Today, uh, I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa up here. We're going to tag team it today. And uh, as we said, you kind of get a, a little taste of the amazing wisdom bombs that get dropped in kids' world. And the kids usually add some wisdom bombs, too. So kids, if you're in here and you have something to say, you can talk to Miss Melissa like you always do. All right. You just got to shout it out to me so I can hear it. Cool, cool deal. All right. Well, today we are going to be talking, as you can see there, we're going to be talking about Paul and Silas. Paul and Silas were some of the first missionaries of the Christian church. They And Paul had gone on uh, some journeys. On this particular journey we're looking at today is called his second missionary journey. And he was going through some of the regions. Let's put a little map on here. You can see. Um, so down here, Paul starts down here at the bottom right. That's Jerusalem. And they go on a journey. They follow the little arrow up there. They go up through today what's Syria and Turkey, all of these. Now, these were uh, churches. Many of these were churches they had already established before, and he was going by to check on them and say hi and teach them some more and to plant new churches, to make new Christians. And then uh, something exciting happens. They get all the way to the coast, and God calls them through a vision to go to a brand new land that had never seen a Christian before, and that is called the land of Europe. <laughs> what is Europe today? For the first time, a Christian stepped foot onto the shores of Europe. They sailed across the Aegean Sea there and went to the city of Philippi. That's where Philippi is, modern-day Greece. Back then, I think it was Macedonia. Yeah, Macedonia. So, so they're in Philippi, and that's where our story picks up, because they start out just having like a, a normal day that they've been having, which is to get up and hit the city and start telling everybody good news about Jesus, and they're preaching the gospel. And that's when, as you saw in that little cartoon there, they're, they're pestered by this fortune teller, this girl, and uh, who keeps yelling and screaming, look at them, look at them, look at them. And, um, and uh, finally, Paul gets fed up, and he recognizes that this girl is is being uh, possessed by a spirit, and he casts out of her, totally frees her. So this is great news. You would think like they would be like the heroes of the town, uh, but actually the men who were uh, her masters, they, they were using her to make lots of money, and uh, they got upset. Got, he kind of ruined their business that they had with this girl, and so they hauled him off to the city leaders and so that they could be punished, Pretty soon there's this whole mob that forms and everybody around them is saying, Paul and Silas are the real troublemakers around here. I mean, they were just trying to share the good news. They set this girl free and here we pick up. Uh, the crowd joined in the attacks against Paul and Silas. So the authorities ordered that they be stripped of their clothes and beaten with a rod. Hmm. When Paul and Silas had been severely beaten, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to secure them with great care. Oh, that's nice, great care. <laughs> that sound nice? When he received these instructions, he threw them into the innermost cell and secured their feet in stocks. Not stockings, stocks. Stocks. That is heavy, it doesn't allow you to move, it's very uncomfortable, uh, yeah. beaten, thrown in stocks. Good day? No. I've had a bad day, but this has got a, this would be up here with like the worst day I've ever had here. I, I can, you can imagine what these guys are feeling like, you know, you, you've done all this, you've been attacked by the crowd, you've been now beaten, thrown in prison, you're emotionally drained, you're physically drained. 
I mean, you got to be feeling, I would be feeling pretty upset, you know, at how, how unfairly I've been treated by everybody. Uh, I'm bleeding, I'm bruised, I'm sad. Uh, I've been, I'm in jail. It says, you know, they're in the, the, the lowest, the, the innermost thing. That's the lowest, stinkiest dungeon in the whole jail. So this is awful, right? And no trial, no lawyer, no phone call, no nothing. And so it doesn't, you know, for, for them, for this day, it doesn't get much worse than this. But what happens? What happens? Do they complain? Do they threaten the jailers? We're going to get you when we get out of here. They do something very interesting. In fact, this whole story is full of twists and turns that I think are contradictory to what most people's default would be in mm. that situation. Because you think, I'm going to pray for somebody and the power of God's going to fall. And then right. what's going to happen? I'm going to end up in prison. Revival. All right, I'm in no. prison. So now what's the next thing I'm going to do? What do they do? They do something really, really special. Uh, around midnight, Paul and Silas were what? Praying. Praying and singing hymns to God. Wow. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Man. Someone's always listening. That's true. Someone's always watching. In every circumstance, someone's listening and someone's watching. And Paul and Silas, in that moment, in a dark prison cell, they decide we're going to worship and we're going to sing praises. Why do you think they did that? What do you think? I think it's because God's worthy of our praise. Mm -hmm. Do you think God's worthy of our praise? Yes. Is God's praise indicative on our circumstance? Like, we only have to praise him when it's good, right? Because he doesn't deserve our praise when it's bad. Mm. No, God is worthy for who he is. Say, for who he is. For who he is. For who he is. And Paul and Silas worship God for who he is. And because he is great. And because he is greatly to be praised. And because they know he is the Lord and the master of their lives. And so... They are giving God worship because God is due our worship all the time. Yes. Uh, the writer and pastor, Mark Batterson, he says this. I love the way he puts it. He says, worshiping is when we stop fo focusing on what's wrong with us or with our circumstances and we start focusing on what's right with God. Yes. What's right with God. Um, here, here's what I believe about worship. I don't think it's about, I don't, I, I don't, it's not about how the act of worship makes us feel. I think a lot of us kind of get a little spoiled today, right? We get to come into a beautiful, beautiful sanctuary on Sunday. It's air conditioned, like we don't have to sweat too bad, you know. We, ha we hear these like amazing musicians and singers singing these songs that have been like professionally crafted by professional musicians out of Nashville that have been recorded by these professional record companies and put on our radio and MP3. I mean, this is like, this is worship to us. And we kind of get to where, well, I need that. I need to feel all the feels before like the worship is real or something like that. And I can just imagine though, Paul and Silas in that jail cell, I'm guessing maybe the acoustics might not have been so great, right? I'm guessing, now Silas, that sounds like a country western star. So he probably had a good voice, but Paul's a preacher. Most preachers don't sing good. So he's probably off key. They're hurting. They're chained up. It's dirty. It stinks. Like they didn't have bathrooms in those jails. So I mean, just come on, fill in the blanks. It's awful. And they're praising and they're worshiping. And, and, you know, sometimes we can get so distracted by the dumbest stuff, can't we? Right? The, the singer was a little off. 
uh, I don't know, some, it, the temperature's not quite right today. You know, something, something's, just something, something's a little off, and it stops us from, like, entering in, whatever that means. Because here's the thing, you're already in, and God is already here. God's not waiting to enter in to, to how good the, the worship is. He's here, and He's enjoying the praise. He is receiving it, right? And so it's our, it's our role just to enter into that, to, to be part of that praise, to be part of the praise that's already been given to God. He's enjoying it. And um, the idea that everything has to like emotionally move us for worship to be valid, it's kind of silly, and it's kind of, it's a very modern, I'll just say that, it's a very modern take on worship. We don't see that for thousands of years. Um, and, and so, in fact, in Scripture, you know what it's called? The sacrifice of praise. The sacrifice of praise. And so we praise God even in the worst of circumstances because God is, He's worth it, right? The psalmist knew that, that God was worth it right? He's praising, and this is written, if this, I, I believe this is a Psalm of David, and so he's writing, and David's facing all kinds of hard times, right? And he's like hiding out in caves and all kinds of crazy, taking care of sheep different times in his life, and he's worshiping God because God is worthy. Because God is worthy, and do you know what worshipers do? Worshipers worship. They worship. Yeah. That's what a worshiper does. They almost can't even help themselves but mm. to worship God. That's just who they are. Because he's worthy, and so let's talk about but how can you do that in a prison cell? How can you do that when you've been beaten? How can you, how can you go, man, in this pain, in this imprisonment, I choose this time to worship the Lord. And that idea of bringing a praise and a sacrifice of praise and honor to God, no matter what, if we go all the way back to when God spoke to Abraham, when God led Abraham to the new land, to the new place where he was going to start, the first thing Abraham did was build an altar. He built an altar. And that altar, through the generations, would turn into the tent and the tabernacle and the temple until the moment Jesus says, one day, people will worship the Father, not on this temple or this mountain, mm. but in spirit and in truth. So do you know what we do when we worship? We are building a spiritual altar to the Lord. Oh, that's good. And it's not an altar where we have to make an animal sacrifice because who was the sacrifice? Jesus. Who is the ultimate sacrifice? Do you know what al our altars are? They are the incense of our praise and our honor and our worship to God. And so this is how Paul and Silas do this. Mm. They're in this prison, which is an awful space. And in their praise, they're building a spiritual altar to God and they're making it now a sacred space. That's what our worship turns a room into. Mm. Right? This is, this is a This is a building. But when we come together and we give God our worship, it becomes an altar for God to enthrone himself upon. Hmm. Can you imagine the intimacy and the closeness of that? Your praise builds an altar and invites God not only to be with you, but to commune with you, to speak to you, to talk to you. And that will change everything. So in that room, in that prison, when they built that altar of praise to the Lord, mm. and the Lord was with them, that prison turned into a sacred space. And when mm. something turns into a sacred space, pretty soon it's going to get supernatural. Oh, man. Supernatural things happen. S sacred becomes supernatural. That's right. Let's look at what happens. In verse 26, it says, All at once there was such a violent earthquake that it shook the prison's foundations. The doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Hallelujah. How many of you know 
worship leads to breakthrough. Worship leads to breakthrough, right? Worship breaks the chains. We see it so, so often happen in our own lives. I, I want to ask the kids, can yeah. you think of any examples in the Bible where people were worshiping or praising God and something amazing happened? Adeline. Do you remember? It's okay. right there. But you it know what? Right First of all, a gold star for your enthusiasm. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. Just step and now that there, you've talked, I think not. someone else will. Who remembers a time there were people worshiping and blowing? What? What do you think? Sometime maybe when they were marching and they yelled out and some walls let's come a, tumbling let's down. Let's get a grown-up to help us. Jericho. Uh, what was that? Jericho. 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 That's right. What happened? It they was... went around the city, and what were they doing? Nothing. Just, just walking around the city. And then a moment came where they were to give a shout Woo! to the Lord. And what happened? The walls fell down. And again, I always like to say, I've been to Jericho, and there are still no walls That's in right. that city. <laughs> Once God brings down a wall, no man can put it back. That's right. The, the Old Testament is filled with these stories. Uh, there was one time when Gideon, and he was way outnumbered, he and his mighty men, but they were few in number, and they were all around the little mountainside, and in the valley was this humongous army. And what did they do? They yell. They let out a cry, and the army down below the enemy army just wipes itself out. There was a time when King Jehoshaphat was surrounded by three armies, right? Three armies are coming at him. And what does he assemble? A choir. He puts the worship team out there first. The worship team, get out there. And they start singing and the armies all wipe themselves out. It's By the crazy time they thing. get there, all the enemies were defeated. Right. They didn't even fight the battle. All they did was praise their God. There's power in worship. There's there power, power in worship. power in worship. And so here, it looks like the worship has worked. I mean, the, the power has come. God has showed up, right? The earthquake has happened. The chains have been released. Good news. Everybody can run. Everybody can be released. Yeah. Is that what happens? No, here's what happens. Um, are we here? Yes. When the jailer awoke and saw the open doors of the prison, he thought the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword. Because in the Roman Empire, if you let your prisoners go, that was it for you. Yeah. You were responsible, and you and your family were donezo. Donezo. And Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. All here. Okay. Wait, no, okay. What, hold on. What did Paul just say? We're all here. All Let here. me ask you a question. If you were thrown in a foreign prison and you were worshiping the Lord and the chains fell on the walls and the doors open, are you hanging around? Mm -mm. Let's be honest with ourselves. We're like, thank you, Jesus. And yeah. we're taken off. This is their big chance. God just set them free. But here's how I know that Paul and Silas weren't worshiping to get something from God, hmm. like their chains off, because they didn't run away. Mm -hmm. They didn't run away. They were worshiping because they served the God who is the redeemer and who is the bringer of freedom. And they knew the people that they were with needed something from the Lord. Right. So they were like, ooh, this isn't, this isn't for us. This is for them. And let's Let's take a second and contrast this because we just mentioned some stories from the Old Testament where worship broke the chains, worship created a breakthrough. But here's the difference between Jericho and Gideon and Jehoshaphat. And, you know, you remember Samson, he, what is his final act? Boom, he pushes the, the pillars down and it collapses on all the Philistines. Here's the difference between that and our story is 
We're not in the Old Covenant anymore. We're not in the Old Testament anymore. This isn't about a demonstration of the might of Israel. This is a demonstration of the might of the kingdom of God. And things operate differently in the kingdom of God. Here's a key thing about Paul and Silas I want us to capture here. They aren't singing, as you just said, they aren't singing so that God will get, will, will defeat their enemies. And they're not even apparently singing so that they can escape, so that God will get them out of jail and back on the streets, because they believe their mission is right where they're, they're right where they're supposed to be. They don't believe that they're off mission. They believe they're on mission, right? Sometimes the thing we want most from God, I think, is for Him to just deliver us from our difficult places. Just deliver me from this difficult place. And that's our only prayer. But what if some of those difficult places that we're in are right where God's mission is for us? That He wants to use that for good. He wants to use it for good. And, and not because God doesn't care about us, but because to God, you and I are more than just, you know, pets to keep happy all the time. We're a partners. God wants to partner with us every moment of every day. So when we build that altar of our praise and our worship and we invite God to sit with us, God establishes partnership with us in that space. Because yes, he is our Lord, but and he's always with us, but God does not interrupt you all the time and make you do what he wants to do. He wants to partner with you, right? Because God is sovereign, but he's also unconditional love. And so he lets us choose, and he lets us choose to partner with him today, to partner with him tomorrow. He wants us to partner with him. So in that space, when they worshiped him, they were saying, God, partner with us in this, and boy, does God show up and partner with them. And the first thing he says is, look to the right and the left. Who's here? Prisoners are here. A jailer is here. They need me. They need me. And so Paul and Silas bring that freedom, that spoiler alert, they already have. That's right. They're not, pray, they're not praying to be set free because they're already free. They're already free. Who's the prisoner in the story? Is it Paul and Silas? Right. No. Who's the prisoner? It's those who have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's those who do not know the freedom that only Jesus brings. And that's what they're there to deliver. I think there's something else that Paul and Silas probably have in mind. They have enough of Jesus in them. They have that Jesus-y kind of mindset to know, like you said, what will happen if they escape. They know what will happen to that jailer. Now, you would think, like, who cares about the jailer? He's a bad guy. But they actually care about him. And they never forget, Paul and Silas never forget that their battle isn't against flesh and blood. That's what we're told. It's not against flesh and blood. That's not their enemy. They know what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that our goal isn't conquering our enemies, it's turning our foes into family. And that's exactly what they do. They want to turn their foes into family. Success for them isn't victory over their enemies. It's turning those enemies into, into family. And, uh, and so these are the people. These are the people that they're surrounded by. They know there's, there's never a better chance that they're going to have a captive audience than being in prison. They're like, man, this is great. What an opportunity. And, and so they, want, they know that they are there to minister to the people that Jesus loves these are just as much the people Jesus loves as the people who would be out on the street. And so he loves them. He cares for them. So it's very natural, I think, for Paul and Silas to also feel that love and compassion for those people. That's what we've been talking about for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks when we talk about cross-shaped love. That cross-shaped love, it looks like Jesus. It looks like Jesus. Uh, it's the love that motivates us. And it's the love that motivates our worship, right? We worship because we have been set free no matter what's going on around us, we may feel the chains. We may feel those things happening. 
but we know we are, have already been set free, and that's why we worship. And we've been given a mission to help set other captives free. So in verse 29, the jailer called for some lights. All this was happening in the dark, you guys. <laughs> they were doing all this in the dark, the worship service, the chains coming, the salvations. And then he rushed in and felt trembling before Paul and Silas. He led them outside and asked, Honorable masters, what must I do to be rescued? I love this right here. What must I do to be rescued? And that word rescued is also, in some of your Bibles may say, what must I do to be saved? But I love this, the common English version uses a really accurate word. It is the word rescued, to be rescued. This jailer in this moment is having a life-altering experience right here. These prisoners should have escaped, but they, they haven't. They're still there. He should be in big trouble right now, but he's not. And notice what he calls them. The jailer calls these prisoners. What does he call them? Everything is flipped on its head. He's the guy with all the power. He's the guy who probably has a sword on. He's probably got the keys in his pocket. He's the guy who is in charge, right? It looks like he's in charge. They're the prisoners. They don't have any rights. They're dirty. They probably don't even have any clothes on. They're all bruised and battered. And suddenly he recognizes that he's the one in prison. And they're the ones that hold the keys to freedom. And so he's humbled here and it, it, we see a repentant heart. He has a desire to be rescued from this dead-end life. Yeah. And then down in verse 31, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your entire household. They spoke the Lord's word to him and everyone else in his house. And right then, in the middle of the night, the jailer welcomed them and washed their wounds. <laughs> What's the first thing the jailer does here? After he's had this conversion experience, what's the first thing he does when he finds this new life? He tends to the wounds that he, his eyes are open. He recognizes he shares guilt in these wounds, right? He's complicit in these guys, in the beatings that they have had. He's part of the system. And so his love moves him immediately. The first thing he wants to do is make amends. Have you ever heard the phrase, hurt people hurt people? Mm -hmm. Healed people heal people. That's right. And that's what the power of the gospel does. It isn't just, okay, and Jesus is Lord, you believe it? Okay, phew, you're going to go to heaven. See you later. <laughs> Bye. No, the kingdom is here. Yeah. Christ says the kingdom has come near to you. So now receive that kingdom and now watch everything change. Mm -hmm. Now watch the hurting become the healed and watch the healed people bring healing to others in my name. This is the exponential power of the gospel of Jesus. It's why we were called to go into all the world and make disciples. And all the world starts with the prisoner in the jail cell next to you. That's right. Going into all the world starts with the neighbor next door to you. It starts with your family. It starts with your friends. It starts with the person closest to you. That's our sphere of influence. Mm. You don't have to think about it like, well, we'll send the missionary here. I can't go here. You guys, the grocery store. <laughs> yeah. The person changing their flat tire. It's in all these little moments and little details. None of it's insignificant. Do you think there's an insignificant moment to God? Yeah. Do you think there's a moment he can't use or redeem or meet a need through? Mm. That's where the power of the gospel is ready in all those moments. That's beautiful. I love there's a little moment here, if you notice, 
You know, I, I always like to, to find these little literary flourishes here, and the writer does something very brilliant here. Look what he puts. The first thing the jailer does is wash their wounds. What is the first thing then the apostles do? They return the favor. They wash his spiritual wounds, and he and his family. So they're washing each other. This is just a, a beautiful act. The, they wash the jailer and his family with water, symbolizing the washing away of their sins, of all their, their sins and their wounds. Everybody in this story gets made clean. Everybody gets made clean. Uh, and apparently the family just saw what a great difference they have made in dad after work because he's usually probably this grumpy guy coming home from work being a jailer because the whole family gets excited. They all receive Jesus in verse 34. Yeah, he brought them into his home. The jailer brought Paul and Silas into his home and gave them a meal. He was overjoyed because he and everyone in his household had come to believe in God. Good day. <laughs> good day. That started a great day. So good. There's a little interesting uh, afterward I want to share. So this church doesn't exist yet. They just landed in this city. They're meeting people as they go along. They met this girl that they delivered from the evil spirit. They met the jailer. Maybe even some of the other prisoners got saved. There's some other people we didn't have time to talk about that they meet during this trip. Years later, Paul is writing a letter to this church that is now thriving, and it's called the Church of the Philippians. And we have a record of it in the letter called Philippians. And, and I can imagine him remembering this day and remembering meeting all these people. Uh, and he, learns, he learned a great lesson that night, I think, and he says this to them. He says, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness show in your treatment of all people because the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. Rather, bring up all of your requests to God and your prayers and your petitions along with giving thanks. And the peace of God that exceeds all understandings will keep your hearts and minds safe in Christ Jesus. That's just such a, a, a beautiful reminder of, uh, I, I think I can imagine him just remembering all those people from that day when he's writing that letter. Somebody might have looked at Paul and Silas, maybe somebody that was contributing to his ministry, and go, you know, Paul ends up in jail an awful lot. Maybe he's not doing exactly what God wants him to do. Mm. Maybe he's not listening to the Spirit of God. And they might look at, at, at the imprisonments as the fruit of Paul's life, but that's not the fruit of Paul's life. The fruit of Paul's life is his character and what his spirit is doing in the prison. The fruit of Paul's life is peace. So when the prisoners are next to him and they see two men saturated in the peace of God, do you know what they want? They want the peace of God. That's what they want. That's the fruit. Do you know no one did more in prison than Paul? He wrote four of his letters in prison. Mm -hmm. I think he was like, oh, thank goodness, I've got some time. You got a paper and pen handy? We know so much of what he said because he was in bondage. But to him, he wasn't in bondage because who the Son has set free is free indeed. And everywhere he went, I mean, at one point he even says, I'm so glad I have a captive audience. The jailers have to listen to me. I get to preach to them. There was no opportunity wasted. Let us think about that. When we're in line at the DMV, Lord help us. When we're doing the thing we don't want to do or we're doing the thing that we have to do or we're doing something that is kind of like drudgery, remember this. If Paul can be in a prison cell and bring the peace and the joy of the kingdom of God to those around him, what can't we do? 
What can't we do with all the resources God has given you? How can we minister his kingdom to others? Today as we close, I think I want to ask us, I want us to ask ourselves a question. And that is, who am I in this story? Who are you in this story? Maybe you're here today and you're, you're kind of like that jailer. You know, up to now, you've thought you've got it all together. You've, you're the one in charge. You've got control over your life. Maybe you're, you know, you've got a lot of plates spinning, but you're in control. You got it together and you don't need rescuing. And today is your day to admit to yourself, I need a savior. I'm the one who is in prison. I'm the one who is in chains. I'm in bondage. That idea that I'm in control, got it all together, it's an illusion. And, and this can be your day to surrender to Jesus. Whatever age you are, today you can surrender to Jesus and let him truly set you free, right? Or you might be here today and you feel a lot like Paul and Silas. You've been beat up and, and you know, a lot of it feels unjust, I didn't ask for this. I was just doing my, you know, what I was supposed to do. And they, you feel like life has thrown you in the deepest pit there is. The chains are heavy. You've been treated unjustly. And the choice before you today is, what are you going to do in that prison cell? What are you going to do? Are you going to worry or are you going to worship? Are you going to worry or are you going to worship? Are, are you going to, are you going to just blame everything? on everybody around you? Or are you going to take the opportunity to worship God and ask him, how can you use me in this situation? Because God loves you. He's going to set you free. There's no question about that. He's going to set you free. But is it more than that? Does he want to do more than that? When he sets you free, are you going to run away? Or are you going to rescue somebody? To have that spirit, that Christ-like spirit, that cross-shaped love for other people. That, that's the point of God's deliverance for every single one of us. And he has delivered, he has rescued every single one of us who has called upon him. But we say it all the time, we're blessed to be a blessing. And we're rescued to rescue, right? So that's what we're here for. Amen. You know, the, uh, an extraordinary thing about the book of Acts are the acts of God it contains. But the acts of those miracles and those mighty things you might feel like, I don't see that in my life. I want to see more of that. Do you know you can ask God to partner with you on those things? You can wake up today and say, God, by your spirit, let me move with you in the way you want to. And you can raise your expectation of what a Tuesday can look like. Mm -hmm. Do you want to wake up and live the same day over and over again? Or do you want every day to be the move of God in you fresh? It doesn't just happen. Because God doesn't force anything on his people, he waits for us to reach up and partner with him today. And then when we join hands with God, what can't he do? What can't he do? There is no ordinary day. There is no ordinary life. It is supernatural. What can happen when we expect God to move and show up in what we give him? Amen. Will you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy. That's new every single morning, Lord God. We thank you that you are so faithful to us. 
We thank you, Lord God, that you see us right where we're at, Lord God. You know whether uh, the, the control and, and the, the looking like we got it all together is just an illusion. You know that, Lord God, and you send your Holy Spirit to convict our hearts and to draw us towards you. Lord God, you see us if we're in chains, if we're in bondage, if life is beating us up right now and everything is coming from every direction. We know, Lord God, that your compassion is there, that you love us, Lord God, and that you are going to set us free. We thank you, Father God, that freedom is in you, Lord. We thank you, Father. And we thank you, Lord God, that we are not just pets, but we are partners, Lord God, that you have called upon us. You even called us friends, Lord. And so we thank you, Father God, that we have a part to play in this, this beautiful mission that you have in the world. We thank you, Father God, for working through us and giving, our, giving us eyes to see every opportunity, Lord God. Lord, even in the tragic events that have happened this past week, help us to be the church. Help us to be the voice of light and the voice of hope in this situation, not just to add our voices to all the anger, but to, to offer hope and offer wisdom, Lord God to offer the hope that comes in faith in you, Lord God, the hope that only Jesus can bring, Lord God. Help us to walk in that every single day, we pray. In Jesus' name, here is your assignment this week. Build an altar. Build an altar in the spaces where there's not an altar yet. Build your altar of praise in the grocery store aisle. Build an altar of praise in your office. Build an altar of praise in those spaces so that people start to smell the kingdom of heaven when they walk past. Amen. And then the fruit of peace and joy will be the next step in discipleship for others. Amen. If you'll stand to your feet today, the kids, you guys did such a great job. Let's give all of our children a hand. They were awesome. And our prayer partners, if you guys would come forward right now, if there's any, any one of you who need uh, prayer right now, we just ask you to come forward. Let these good uh, prayer partners pray with you in faith. It's not the same when we pray. Whatever's going on in your life, we know that God has an answer. He's got a next right step for you to take. And uh, we thank you guys so much for being here with us today. We hope you have the best week you've ever had. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to smile upon you and be gracious to you. May he lift his countenance upon you and grant you peace in this world that we're living in. Grace and peace, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>